You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Uh, if you're new visiting, we're, we're so glad you've joined us. We want you to know that this is a safe place to explore faith in Christ, to know who He is, and, and hopefully to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And that's certainly our aim. Um, so welcome. Glad you're here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and I'm a lead pastor here, and just so glad that you're joining us this morning. We're wrapping up our series, our fall vision series this morning. So you kind of come, this is the first time you're here, you're coming in at the end of the movie, but that's okay, we'll catch you up. I think this is still kind of standalone. But um, this series has been, we call it How We Change. It's all about how we change to become more and more like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. And what we've been, what we've done the last uh, half of this series is we've kind of walked through our spiritual formation paradigm. We've used this illustration right here. Boom, look at that magic. And, uh, and to kind of capture that the, really the way that we change is by remaining in the vine, to use Jesus' language from John 15, by remaining in him as we do the remaining he does the changing, right? You are getting tired of me saying that, but like that, I want that in your head. As we do the remaining, as we remain in him, which looks like, like remaining in fellowship with him, in communication with him, remaining in, de- in the state of dependence upon him, in awareness of him. As we remain in him, he changes us to become like him. I mean, this is his promise. And the key verse for this whole series, John 15, 5, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And again, that fruit is the life of Christ being produced in us and through us. His character, his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness, his goodness, on and on and on. The character of Christ being produced in us and through us. And that's a good thing. We want that, right? People in your lives, they want that of you too, right? And so you think about Cliff's testimony and you think about how emotional Alice is because of the change that Jesus brought about in Cliff's life has so affected her. Like that's the way it is for us as we remain in Jesus. This is a great thing. However, the problem is, as we have laid out in this series, that problem is that we have a hard time remaining. That oftentimes we don't live in that posture of dependence and awareness and in communication with and fellowship with Jesus. We, we forget about him or we try to do life alone without him. That John 15, 5 verse continues, and if you, if you remain in me, you bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And yet that's how we often end up living, apart from him, when we don't become like him. And we've said that in this series, one of the reasons why we have trouble remaining, it's not the only reason, but it's a big reason, is that uh, there are other formational forces at work in our world that can pull us apart or push us apart or you know, help us not stay connected or remain in Jesus. And in this series, we've laid those out in that paradigm, and I'm not going to go back through them now, but what we have also said 
is that this is why we need support. We need something that will help us stay connected to the vine, to remain in Jesus. We need a trellis of sorts, you know. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I think it works, right? And so we've walked through these different aspects of the trellis that will help counteract the formational forces of our world that's seeking to make us not like Jesus, but like our world. And uh, we'll also... These things, as we lean on them, help us stay rooted in Christ so that we are becoming more like Jesus. And so we've walked through these biblical teaching. We spent a couple weeks on Jesus' practice, the lifestyle practices, and the missional practices. And then finally, as we wrap up the series, we come to the last one, and that is Christian community. And we're actually going to camp out on this one for a little while longer. We're going to start a, next, a new series next week on community because it is so incredibly vital, friends, in helping us uh, become like Jesus, remain in him, and, and remain in Him. And so, um, Christian community, that's what we're talking about today. Now, as, before I get going too much in this, let's define that, because community is a word that's become a little squishy for us. We use it in a lot of different ways, right? And so let, let me try to make it a little bit more concrete. When we think, when I'm talking about community, Think about uh, the New Testament word that's used that we you know, uh, translate in English as community. It's the word kononia. And that word means uh, associate with or partner with or fellowship with or, of course, having community. It's just got this aspect of being together with but also for a purpose. Okay? And then uh, if you take the English definition of the word community. Just go to the old standard Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. I love that, de that definition. It is, uh, it, um, it is community, is people with common interests living in a particular area. And so like that rules out like online community. I mean, it's, that might have a place for something, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about people that uh, live near enough to one another that you would see them on a regular basis. They're like they're in your life. And then that you have common interests with. And so what is Christian community? Well, simply put, it is people that you live by and follow Jesus with. People that you live by, that are at least you're around, that are close enough for you to see on a regular basis, who know you and you know them, and that you're seeking to follow Jesus with. And friends, I would go so far as to say that you cannot fully become like Jesus apart from being in community. And and the reason I say this, for just one simple reason, is because uh, Jesus lived in community. You ever think about that? Like, how can you become like someone or follow someone who lived in community, and yet you aren't in community? That doesn't make sense. And Jesus lived in community. I mean, think about from eternity past, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, a triune God, Jesus has always lived in community. When Jesus starts his public ministry on earth, what's he do? He immediately starts forming a community. Jesus 
was not some spiritual guru up on the mountaintop with his big white beard all by himself, you know, and you had to scale the mountain to go talk to him. He, he basically lived in a mobile housing, uh, mobile tent community. <laughs> That's who he spent his time with. That's how he lived. He lived in community. And if you're going to follow Jesus, then that means you too will live in community because the two go hand in hand. I mean, think about this. From the very, uh, very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, his first initial invite for someone to follow him wasn't actually an invite for someone to follow him. It was an invite for some ones to follow him. Like if you go to Matthew chapter 4, right? And that's, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be kind of jumping around through the book of Matthew. But if you want to go to Matthew 4, you can. I also have the words up here on the screen for us. But like, look at this very first time Jesus invites anyone to follow him. Who does he invite? How does he do this? Verse 18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. Or that can be translated, come apprentice under me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once he, no, at once they, they left their nets and followed him. The very first invitation for people to follow Jesus was a formation of community. At no point was there ever Jesus and just one. Even from the very beginning was Jesus in two. And it didn't just stay Jesus in two for long. Just a few minutes later, it doubled. Keep reading in that passage, verse 20. Um, or sorry, verse, yeah, can, second part of verse 20. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. See, from, from day one, friends, uh, following Jesus has been a community project. And if you keep reading in Matthew, you see that Jesus continued to call people to follow him, to, be, to, to join his little community. And the people that he invited were not all alike, and they did not all like each other. <laughs> If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, we read about him calling Matthew, the author of the gospel of Matthew. It says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John would have hated Matthew. I mean, those familiar with the Bible, you know this, but like Matthew being a tax collector was viewed in, in the eyes of good Jewish boys like Matthew, I mean, like, like uh, Peter and Andrew, James, and John, as being like the worst of the worst. Like he was a traitor. He worked for the oppressor. He worked for Rome, oppressing the Israelites. Like he was horrible in their eyes. They would have hated him, but they probably wouldn't have tried to kill him, but another guy that Jesus invited to follow him probably would have wanted to kill him. See, if you go one chapter over to Matthew chapter 10, we get a picture of all the people that Jesus called to follow him in his close-knit, like, closest set of apprentices, his disciples or his apostles. 
And in that passage, we read this. Chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples or apprentices to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles in the inner group, the closest of Jesus' followers. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. We just read about them. And then Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and our man, Matthew, the tax collector, and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, let me tell you, friends, this group lacked natural chemistry. <laughs> this is not a group that was on their own, was hanging out together after work, you know, this is a, at a happy hour or whatever. This, this group, like, there was a lot of tension here. And, and the, probably the, the peak of it was seen through uh, Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. See, the zealots, if you're not familiar, the zealots were basically a far kind of right-wing insurgency group that uh, acted in kind of a guerrilla warfare kind of terrorist style and, and, and would like seek to slit the throats of Roman soldiers and acts of violence in order to free Israel from Roman rule. Like what drove them was freedom from Rome so that, you know, that's like that was their mission. And then you have Matthew, who worked for Rome. Like, he was the oppressor. He was the one who was on the ground, a traitor to the Israelites, working for Rome. These two guys would have been enemies. Like, in the very, like, the most realist sense, they were enemies. Can you imagine what uh, morning coffee around the fire pit would have been like for them? You know? Morning murderer, morning trader, better watch your wallet, you better watch your neck. You know, I mean, this is kind of stuff that's going on here. And yet, uh, Jesus invites both of them into his community to follow him. Now, my point in bringing all of that up is this. From the very beginning, following Jesus has meant being in community. They go hand in hand. And from the very beginning, that community has been messy. Like, even Jesus didn't lead a small group that was without tension and infighting and all of that kind of stuff. From the very beginning, it has been messy. Um, let me, and it wasn't just a Matthew and Simon kind of issue. Like if, let me just go to one more passage, okay? Matthew chapter 20, you see a little bit of this also bubbling up, all right? So Matthew chapter 20, if you look at verse 20, we read this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's uh, James and John's mom, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, okay? So she's like, you know, really, really pleading here. Asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, 
She's basically asking, the closest thing that, that we, you know, for us to understand this is, she's basically making a power play here, trying to get her son to be like the vice president in the kingdom, and then her other son like the, you know, the, the, the secretary of state or something like that in the kingdom. And so Jesus responds just really graciously, hey, you, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. And then he said, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And the cup is a metaphor that Jesus uses to speak of great suffering. And so he asks this because for Jesus, leadership in his kingdom, of the kingdom of God, is, uh, is uh, linked to suffering love. And so he asks, can, can you drink the cup? Now this is where James and John, who are I guess standing behind their kneeling mom, they, they pipe up, uh, we can, they said. They said. Just, we'll do anything. Just make us the right and left of you. Uh, and so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. And you know, both of them did. They both died as a result of following Jesus. Jesus continu- continues. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Okay, now look at this. This is where things begin to get Messy, right? Verse 24. And when the ten heard about this, meaning the, the other ten, when this request was being made, must not have been out of earshot, right? Like this was behind their back. This was a secret scheme for James and John to get their mom to ask for them to be able to take this powerful position ahead of all the other guys, right? And so when the ten heard about this, they were indignant, with the two brothers. And the word indignant is a Bible word for a word that I probably shouldn't say from the stage. Like they were really, really, really mad at the at James and John. I mean, if you can imagine Peter, like he's just like, he, he would have been like, we came in to follow Jesus together. Remember, we were all called to do that together. And now look, you're making a power play and you got your mommy to ask for you. Are you kidding me? They were, they were very upset. And Jesus, verse 25, seeing the teachable moment here, called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Like he's saying, you know how outside of our community, everything's about power dynamics. It's about might makes right. It's about the oppressor and the, and the power and all of that. Verse 26, not so with you. That's not how we do things in our community. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus Wade referred to himself, just as I did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, uh, Jesus uses this messy conflict in their community to teach them that to live in his new community under the rule of God is to live by a whole other set of relational dynamics than the world's way of living. See, it's to live not with power, but with love as the center point of their community. 
Now, Jesus doesn't use the word love in this passage, but that is very much the idea that he is calling them to. And it's in this messy dynamic of living in community where Jesus is able to teach them how to love and how to serve like him, how to become like him, how to become a sacrificial servant who is pervaded by love for others. Okay. Now, I want to read all those passages for us so that I can just take a minute now and the rest of the time with this message and, and just make a couple of observations from Jesus' life and teachings on community. And the first one I want to make for us is something that I said at the very beginning. It's that Jesus lived in community. Like Just like let that sink in a, mo- a moment. It's common to think that we can follow Jesus on our own. But Jesus lived in community. Like at no other point, when if you read through the Gospels, you see uh, Jesus and just one person. Like just Jesus and Peter. You don't see it. You know, you see Jesus and the three, Peter, James, and John. You see Jesus and the 12. You see Jesus in the 70. The only time you see Jesus one-on-one with someone is whenever it's an evangelistic moment. It's Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. It's Jesus and the Samaritan. It's, I mean, it's Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan in the well. Now, all discipleship, all when you're really following him, it's immediately connected to community. Jesus lived in community, and following him involves getting uh, with him and others. You look at Jesus' life, you see that he himself uh, spent the bulk of his time in two places or in doing two things. One, it was during, with uh, silence and solitude with the Father, just him and the Father. Or it was time with his community. That's what, how he prioritized the bulk of his time. And friends, to follow him means like, that's not like an abstract idea. I follow him. Well, what does that look like? No, I just, I believe in him. No, no, to follow him means to actually do what he's doing. And that is, man, I make time to just spend with the Father, silence and solitude, and I make time to live in community. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus lived in community, first observation. Second observation is this. Uh, Community is essential for discipleship to Jesus. It's essential for discipleship to Jesus. Again, Jesus didn't have a disciple. He had disciples. Following Jesus as a disciple was always, uh, in discipleship, was always a community project. I love this uh, quote from Dr. Tony Evans, he says this. Oh. Many people say, I don't have to be a Christian. I don't have to be in a Christian community to be a Christian. And they are right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But then, Dr. Evans adds, you also don't have to go home to be married. But to stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. His point being, that if you stay away from Christian community for long, your relationship with Jesus too will be affected. Now, I, I, 
I know uh, that uh, <laughs> we, in our hyper-individualized and super busy culture, don't like this. <laughs> like, this is hard for us. You know, you work, if, if you have, you know, you work, huh, travel for work, man, this is hard. If, if you got kids, this is hard. They've got activities. It makes it hard. If, if you're, you know, in a sorority and you got all kinds of functions there, like that makes being in Christian community can be hard. You got, I mean, it's just, this is, this is difficult. And, and yet this, this is what we learn from the life and the teachings of Jesus. And yet, oh, I know we have a problem with it. In fact, uh, there was an old, uh, not old, it's like I think it was 2015 or 16, uh, uh, the Barna Group, which is the top uh, think tank uh, for uh, a Christian think tank, and and they do surveys all over the place on all different topics. They did a survey back then, uh, 2015, 2016, on discipleship in the church, the state of discipleship in 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 the church of America. And in it, they asked this question, uh, what is your preferred uh, method of discipleship? And the uh, options were on my own, one-on-one, with my small group, or with my church as a, as a whole. And uh, the largest segment, 38% of the people in the survey, indicated that their preferred method of discipleship was on my own. But it, friends, it doesn't work that way. And here's why. It's because uh, becoming like Jesus, growing in Christ-likeness, is at its essence uh, becoming a more loving person. A more loving person. And you can't become a more loving person on your own. You can't. Which is the third observation I want to make from Jesus' teaching and his life. That being community is the context where Jesus teaches his disciples how to love. Community is the context where he teaches his disciples how to love. See, one of the main goals of Jesus' community was to make his followers more and more loving because to become more and more loving is to become like Jesus, to grow and mature his apprentices into people who, like him, are pervaded by a heart of love and service. So that, friends, is why he invited Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector into his community. That's why he didn't just invite a group of friends who were like each other, who already liked each other. See, he wasn't trying to just form a group that he enjoyed hanging out with. He was after more than that. He was after their transformation. And he's after your transformation as well. And he knows community is the context where we learn to love one another, where he teaches us to love one another. I love uh, this quote by Ronald Rollheiser, who's a Catholic theologian and author. He says, A part of the very essence of Christianity is to be together in a concrete community with all the real human faults that are there and the tensions that this will bring us. Spirituality for a Christian can never be an individualistic quest, the pursuit of God outside of community, family, and church. 
The God of the Incarnation tells us that anyone who says he or she loves an invisible God in heaven and is unwilling to deal with a visible neighbor on earth is a liar. Since no one can love a God who cannot be seen if he or she cannot love a neighbor who can be seen. And friends, if you're new to the Bible, that's a, it's a quote from 1 John chapter 4. Then he goes on and makes this statement. Hence a, Christian's, hence, a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. And I hate that last line. <laughs> but it's really true. A Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. And friends, that's why as uh, engaging in and re like really leaning into Christian community is so important for our spiritual formation, for us to become more and more like Jesus. See, loving people from a distance is easy, right? I mean, loving people without actually knowing them or disagreeing with them or experiencing their flaws, or being uh, you know, asked to help carry their burdens, that all is really easy. Yeah, that group over there, I love them. They're, they're the best. No, no. Uh, that's loving people when you actually know them, when you see them on a regular basis, when you have to put up with their flaws, when you're on the other end of their messy, broken activity, behavior, when you actually are the one that is hurt by them when you're actually the one who is asked to help carry a burden, to help meet a financial need. Man, that, that's hard. And yet, it's in that context where we learn to love. Uh, it's where that, that's where we learn and have to actually <laughs> become sacrificial, servant-hearted people. That love well. So think about all the one another commands in the New Testament. All of those are about living in community. Like uh, here's just a list of a few right here. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Like uh if you were to, there's, there's 59 of those commands in the New Testament, one another commands. If you were to read all of them and you're just kind of like sit and think about it, here's two things that would pretty quickly come, arise to, to, uh, to the surface. The first is this, the New Testament writers all assumed that you were in community. That as a Jesus follower, they all just assume that you're living in community. And not just like attending a worship service on Sunday. Like they assume you're in community where you are known and you really know one another. And then the second thing that you'll notice is this. They all assume that it's really messy. Like all of them assume that the, there are people that you have to accept because you don't want to. That's why we're told to accept one another. Or they all assume that there are people you need to honor because, frankly, you just are full of contempt for them. 
And there will be people that you need to work to live in harmony with because it's not easy to get along with them. See, the New Testament authors assume that you're in community and it's messy. And though that's not easy to be in a messy community, friends, it's not bad. It's actually really good. Because it's the place where you're learning to love and your community is learning to love. And it's where together you're becoming more and more like Jesus as you point each other to him and as you are put in a position to have to really rely on him and his love in order to love each other well, which drives you into the vine so that he can produce his love, his life through you. All of this is good. And yeah, it's not easy, but it is. It is good. And so a scary or inconvenient or messy Christian community is, it is absolutely essential in becoming like Jesus. For it is the context where he teaches us how to love. John Mark Comer, who uh, you guys know I, I, I'm a big fan of and read all the stuff, listen to all his messages, taught, taught me a lot on what I'm teaching y'all right now. Uh, he, he calls community a school of love. A school of love. And so I thought about changing the names of our midtown communities to just schools of love, but then I thought, man, I'd probably get a little awkward. Uh, it's kind of send the wrong message. But there is, an, like, there, you can see that, right? I mean, we, community really is the training ground where Jesus teaches us to become people of love. And if you want to become someone pervaded by love, which who doesn't? Like, don't you want to be a more loving person? Don't you want to grow as someone who loves people well? See, it's, it's to that end that Jesus says, hey, come on, follow me, not alone, but with others. Come, join a community centered around following me. People that you see on a regular basis, people that you're in life with, that you do community with, that you are in each other's lives where you're going you're gonna to see each other's messiness and it's going to be hard sometimes, but he says, that's good. That's where I'm going to help you become more and more like me. And friends, we, we need a community like that. And, and let me tell you, it, it's got to be a community that's stronger than, the, than this. Like stronger than what happens on a Sunday morning. And we, now, certainly I believe in that uh, what happens Sunday morning is incredibly important. Okay, but it's not it's not because this is where we experience deep community. It's important because uh, we're called to worship God. We're called to gather together. And it's one of Jesus's practices, like following Jesus. Again, this is one of the things that Jesus did. Like from what we can tell in the the gospel accounts, every Sabbath, Jesus was uh, in the synagogue. He was worshiping God with others, hearing his word taught, centering himself again on his relationship with the Father. This is a really, really important practice of Jesus. We follow Jesus. We we gather together each week on Sundays. But also, learning from Jesus' example, he would walk out of that synagogue and he would walk with his disciples, with his community, which is actually larger than the 12. He had, you know, Mary and Martha and uh, many other women in that group. And it was, a large, it was a large group. He had a lot of folks. And that's who he did life with. And so we also would say 
that's what we need as we follow Jesus. We need the Sunday gathering is important. This is where we go back to the paradigm. Biblical teaching is a key aspect to help us remain in Christ. But we need also Christian community as a key way to help us remain in Christ. And we learn that from Jesus. And so we say, who are you in community with? Who knows you? Who do you know to that degree? Who are your one another's? My wife and I, uh, Krista and I, um, you know, in case I know some of y'all don't know us yet, uh, but just to say, like, we're, we're here every Sunday that we're in town. My wife is right now out of town with our MC, the girls in our MC. So they're, they're doing some extra community out in Wilmington uh, on a beach. And so they're living, living large. But uh, we're here. This is a priority of Sunday morning. If I wasn't a pastor of this church, I would be in a church every Sunday morning uh, because I, I don't follow Jesus because I'm paid to. <laughs> this is the part of following Jesus. We're also, Chris and I are in community. We're, we're in an MC. We're, we're in an MC that uh, we are in with uh, three other uh, couples that live on our street, and, it, and it's really great. We, we love these couples. Um, they're good friends of ours. We love them, and we are also learning how to love them, and they are learning how to love us as we practice the way of Jesus together. This is, uh, and, and it's so good. It's hard at times, but it's so good. I, but I want you to know, like, I tell you that because it's not theory for me, and I really want it for you. I really want it for you. And so today is really just a, simply a call to you to lean into community because it's a key way that Jesus uses to make us like him and to make us depend on him and to teach us how to love, love well. And so I know that some of y'all aren't in community. You have some Christian friends, and you're here on Sunday. That's all really great. I mean, it really is really great, but you're not living in community right now. And so my call to you, my encouragement to you is just to say, like, if you're willing to follow Jesus, I'd really encourage you to follow him into community, to join an MC, a midtown community. That's, that's what we have set up as a church. Our church is designed Sunday gathering and be in community. And so we'd really encourage you to be in a Midtown community. We've got a list of the Connections desk when you walked in of all of our Midtown communities. Or if you're like, none of these work for me, then here's, here's an idea. Start a Midtown community. You can start one. We'll help you get people to show up at your house on the night of the week that works for you or whatever. You join a Midtown community and start one. Or if you're a college student, then we would also encourage you to join Midweek, which is our Wednesday night community that meets here for college students each Wednesday, it's, it's really awesome time with awesome people that will help you follow Jesus, okay? So for those of you who are not in community, that's, that's the call. If you're willing, if you're ready to follow Jesus, then follow him into a community. And then for the rest of y'all, I don't know, many of y'all, most of our church is in a community. And for you, I think my encouragement to you off of all this is um, stay, even when it's hard. Because it is hard. Or if it's not hard right now, it will get hard. <laughs> and, and stick it out. And, and, and see it as, as cheesy as it might sound, see it as your school of love. 
where Jesus is teaching you how to love one another. He's, he's helping you become someone who's pervaded by his love, someone who is like him. Okay? Sound all right? You get that? Hey, lean, in this, lean into this last rung of the trellis. It will help us remain in Christ. And he will make us more and more like him. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.